0: The sun All of those covered with my six and good morning, everyone. Welcome to my show, Education, Leadership and Beyond. This is Andrew Morata. Thanks for being on today. This is show number five, and uh, very happy to be back here. If you've been listening before, this show is about leadership, it's about education, it's about being better in your life, and uh, topics that are out there related to, again, education, leadership, and improving yourself. We've had fathers on, we've had uh, different guests on, I've had my father-in-law, we've had Dr. Rob Gilbert on, and today we do have a special guest. We have the superintendent of our neighboring school, Dr. John Bell, he will be on this morning here with us uh, but before we get started I'd like to say uh, good morning to my man Gavin Burt. Gavin how you doing this morning? Not bad not bad. Gavin I- I've enjoyed uh, being on the radio here with you this is show number five and we- we've t- talked a little bit what do you like best about working on the radio Gavin you- you've been at this a while what do you enjoy best about working on radio? unlike a lot of people I'm not really interested in being on the air I mean if I have to be I have to be but I'm not looking to do an on-air shift I was into that 10 or 15 years ago but my interests changed um, I would I just enjoy working behind the scenes and making things work obviously things go wrong sometimes that's gonna happen in any job I'm sure it happens in your job and you can't always prevent that but uh, when everything goes smoothly and everything works I uh, that makes me very happy. And a lot of successes or accomplishments I have are when no one's looking. It could be on a sports game on Friday night where I'm here alone where I think something's just going to blow up in my face and it works beautifully. And uh, that's usually the best feeling. It's it's like you, you've made a comeback when you think something's going to blow up and it works perfectly. And uh, I know you're listening at home or you're in the car and we're in a, a nice studio here. Uh, in Port Jervis, New York, and uh, I come in here and there's a hundred buttons and dials and microphones and wires, and Gavin makes it all work. So uh, it's cool, and I appreciate your help, uh, Gavin. Thank you. So again, this is Education, Leadership, and Beyond Surviving and Thriving. My name is Andrew Morata. Happy to be here with you this morning. We are on Country 107.7 WDLC, 106.9 WYNY, and Wall Radio. You could follow me on Twitter at AndrewMorada21, and you can email in the show, Andrew at Media In our last segment, we will have a uh, call in or write in question uh, that we will address. So, uh, but the setup of the show again, if you've been listening for a few weeks, is uh, I start with an opening concept about leadership, about education, about life, about being a good person, about being a good parent. And then uh, we have a guest on, and then again at the end of the show, we, uh, we have a question. So today's uh, concept is to discuss the seven habits of highly effective people. And uh, the reason I'm selecting that, Dr. Bell, when he was with us at Port Jervis, that is a program he brought to our schools, and uh, he had a number of staff trained In that, people could sign up for that training. Again, the seven habits of highly effective people. And then from there, they trained a number of our people to teach the course. And I was lucky enough to be one of those people. And for several years, I did teach uh, this course to different staff members, different community members. And just like anything, the best way to learn something is to teach it. And I really had a chance to dive into those seven habits And uh, uh, I really enjoyed it. And again, that was from Dr. Bell, who is now at Delaware Valley Schools in Milford, PA. He's the superintendent there, and he's going to be our guest today. Uh, But I did want to talk a little bit about the seven habits. I probably won't have enough time to get to all of them. And uh, that's a lot to to put into about 10 minutes. So uh, I will do my best to uh, summarize and, and just touch on some of the highlights. But uh, we will start with number one is being proactive and, uh, you know, we all know what that word means and and uh, being proactive in your life, you know, stimulus versus response. There's a uh, saying that life is 10% what happens to you, 90% how you respond and uh, always responding and in, in, uh, uh, in a positive nature and doing things positively is a, is a great uh, thing, but you know, you want to be ahead of these things. You want to not be blaming others for situations that happen and, and things that happen to you. You want to be ahead of those decisions and, and working to uh, be in front of that, to be in front of the stimulus. And, and one of the things they talk about is your circle of influence and you getting a, a bigger and creating a bigger circle of influence so that when do th- things do happen, you can uh, uh, be out in front of it and certainly uh, be proactive instead of reactive in your your response to these situations and and things that happen. So here's a a couple of examples. When uh, using proactive language, you might say something like, let's look at our alternatives. Being reactive or being negative, there's nothing I can do about it. Being proactive, I control my own feelings regardless of the situation versus she makes me mad. Uh, how about something I choose versus I can't, I prefer to do, or I choose to do versus I must. Those are uh, examples of being proactive versus reactive. The second, uh, in the habits of uh, highly effective people is begin with the end in mind. And, uh, beginning with the end in mind. Think about all the decisions you make and all the things that you do. You want to envision what you want the outcome to be, and you can then take the steps to help formulate that, uh, whatever it is. And so habit number two, begin with the end in mind. And uh, they tell the story in the thing about uh, an 80th birthday party. We've all been to an 80th birthday party where uh, the people are saying nice things about the person and, and uh, you know that person lived a good life, influenced a lot of people. A lot of our guests have, that have come on the show have talked about the people that have influenced their lives. So what did that person do during their life to have those people say those things about them? Begin the end in mind. Live your life with the end in mind that uh, those positive outcomes will be there. The third habit, putting first things first. There's a, a saying in here, uh, things that n- matter the most must never get in the way uh, or the mercy of the things that matter least. You certainly want to put those most important things in your life, but life is so busy. I'm a high school principal. I got all kinds of stuff being thrown at me and you fight that battle uh, of urgent versus important and you know, a compass versus a clock. Do you live and die by the clock or do you, you know, live and die or make your decisions with a compass? Uh, urgent versus important. Putting first things first. First things first. How do you do that? How do you make sure that you get the most important things done? Do you plan daily? Do you plan weekly, monthly, yearly? Do you take the time to go in the direction that you need to go or are you making quick decisions uh, that are reactive, and, and are you going off the cuff? So putting first things per- first, certainly very important. If you've ever seen the demonstration, you want to uh, go on YouTube, you know, do the demonstration, Seven Habits, and, and type in Big Rocks, and they do a, uh, a demonstration. Stephen Covey does something about the bucket of your life, and you have the most important things in your life, your family, your faith, your career, uh, different things you're striving for and going for and those are the big rocks and then you have all the all the little things those are the those are the little rocks uh, and sometimes in life we get we get sidetracked and and those little rocks crowd our life and what uh, dr. Covey does in the demonstration he shows how if you put all the little rocks in the bucket first, then you try to add the big rocks they don't all fit and things like your family and the most important things get Cast aside because they don't fit in that bucket, and then he redoes it and he puts the bigger rocks in first and sprinkles all the little rocks around them, and pretty much they all fit. It's amazing how the little rocks form around the bigger rocks, and uh, that is a, a very important um, you know demonstration and a very important part of the seven habits. The next habit, again, the first three: be proactive. Begin with the end in mind and putting first things first, those are, are for your life and you, helping you be more organized, helping you make better decisions, going from dependence on others to independence on your own. The, the, the next three really go from you being in your private life to the public life and, and working with others. And uh, the, the, the next one is n- number four, think win-win. Think about all the uh, relationships in your life and and whether it's with your family, people at work. Think about the decisions you make, conversations you have with them, things that you need from them. You want to be positive in those relationships. You want uh, positive outcomes. And and think about it like a bank account. Are you adding to that person's life? Are you uh, taking away from that person's life? Deposits or withdrawals. And and again, sometimes at work, we have to have hard conversations and hard decisions, but you could still do it in a a, a manner where you're being respectful and and creating positive relationships with those people. Um, You want to create win-win type of situations in your life uh, and and with the people that are closest to you. Uh, And there's a lot of different examples and ways to do that. Uh, I am running out of time in my first segment So um, I'm just going to go briefly uh, over the next two. Seek first to understand before being understood. It's about listening. It's about uh, being there for other peoples. And again, God gave us two ears and one mouth, so we got to listen a little bit uh, better. Uh, The next one is synergize, working with others, uh, using positive energy to come up with solutions uh, in your relationships with others. And lastly, you know, for all of our parents out there, for all of our, our leaders out there, you know, we're working so hard and doing all these different things. You know, the last one is sharpen the saw. You know, last week I spoke to Mr. Bon Jovi, the superintendent of, of Port Jervis Schools, and I asked him about that question and how he relaxes. And, you know, one of his ways he does that is is going to the gym. But what is your way that you sharpen the tools that you use to be effective in your life? And it's a combination of of getting training and and getting better and also taking time to relax and step away from work. And that last habit is sharpen the saw. So if you're home and you have your morning coffee, a quick recap, the seven habits of highly effective people. Uh, And again, that was brought to the Port Jervis School District by our our guest coming up here, Dr. John Bell. Number one, be proactive. Number two, begin with the end in mind. Number three putting first things first. Number four, thinking win-win in your relationships with others. Number five, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Number six, synergize. And number seven, sharpen the saw. It's a great program. You want to looking for something to improve your life, uh, certainly check that out and certainly look for those trainings. We are going to take a break here. This is Andrew Murata, Education, Leadership, and Beyond. Next up is our guest, Dr. John Bell, Superintendent of Schools at yeah. Delaware Valley. We'll be right San back.
1: Francisco,
0: for the Labor Day weekend show I got my hush puppies on I guess I never was meant for glitter rock and roll And honey, I didn't know that I'd be missing you, so come Monday, it'll be alright, come Monday. Back to Education Leadership and Beyond. This is Andrew Morata. I am the principal at Port Jervis High School, and welcome back to the show. That's hard to shut that song off, a journey like that. Don't stop believing. Uh, I am very pleased, very proud uh, this morning to have uh, a special guest on the show, a good friend of mine. Uh, someone who's done uh, a lot of inspiring in, in my professional life and my personal life. Uh, I opened the show with The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And it was Dr. John Bell that had brought that to our schools and, and to our work. And uh, welcome to the program, Mr. Bell. Thank you, Andrew. It's fun to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. John, you know, again, opening that show with, with about The Seven Habits. Where did that idea to come, come from you know, to bring that to the schools? And what was your goal in, 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 in doing that? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, we were looking to bring the professional learning
1: communities to Port Jervis, where teachers would not work in isolation, but they would work together in teams. And we took a road trip. I took about uh, 20 people up to the main Enwell School District outside Binghamton, uh, also the, the town that won the Little League World Series last year. Um, we went up there and to learn more about professional learning communities, and one of the things they talked about is in order to make the PLCs work well, they had to make sure that the teachers had the right tools. And I said, okay, what tools are you talking about? And they said, we taught our staff how to use the seven habits first. And I had been trained in the seven habits probably 10 or 12 years earlier, and, I, and it was just like this, that makes so much sense. You can't just throw people into groups and expect them to perform well you got to give them the tools and that's why and we started bringing the seven habits to Port Jervis
0: and now you did that at Port Jervis and now that you're at Delaware Valley I know uh, their songs they're doing it in their schools my kids are singing the songs when they come home implementing that at, at this you know at Delaware Valley did you do anything differently and what are you what are you seeing with the implementation at Delaware Valley going on now it's really incredible. It's it's it's
1: bigger than I ever imagined it could be or would be at Delaware Valley. There's a Leader in Me program, which is built uh, specifically for elementary students to learn how to incorporate the Seven Habits into their lives and take responsibility and accountability for their own learning. And then at the middle school level, we teach the Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teens program. We that's part of a seventh grade course that we have. Uh, and then we do a refresher on the seven habits when they enter ninth grade as part of a new course that we put in called Freshman Seminar. And it's a course designed to help kids be more successful uh, when they get to high school because that's such a big transition. So, so we have the seven habits embedded at all three levels now, elementary, middle, and high. We've also trained about 250 of our staff members in it. And that was tr- strictly voluntary. And, and they've signed up for it in droves, which makes me really, really happy.
0: And John, those that are listening locally and know you, they they know your personality. You know, you are a dynamic leader. You have done so many good things in your own personal life as a leader and a father. Which one of the habits means the most to you or which one do you feel that you touches you the most?
1: Well, I think the one that most people if I asked other people, which one is bell about? They'd probably say number three about putting first things first, because, um, I do have a lot of things going on in my life, and and if you prioritize them, you can have a lot of things. And you know that you're very good at doing this too. But but if you don't put the big rocks in first, you're you're going to have holes in your life. And if it's cheating your spouse or cheating your kids of the time that you should be devoting. Uh, you know, you're going to look back when they're older. It's kind of like that Harry Chapin song, and you know, you'll look back with sadness because you didn't spend the time with them when you should have. So you got to do habit number three: put first things first, and 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 spend time with your big rocks first.
0: And uh, when your your boys were younger, and Michael and David, and hopefully they're at home listening to the program, um, I remember watching you. You had the ability. You took them to school, and mm-hmm. and what a special thing that dad, who, who's a big time leader in schools, and yeah, took the time to take them to school. That 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 means a lot. Yeah, and I have so many just funny or
1: isolated random memories of them throughout my career. I can remember even when I was at Minnesink Valley as a principal, they'd want to come to the dances on Friday night so they could take my two assistant principals walkie talkies and run around the building like they were my assistants at night. You know, and I still have now kids that from Minnesink that are in their thirties that say. That's your son, that kid that's almost six foot tall? I remember him when he was a midget with a radio running around in the middle school gym.
0: And uh, memories like that. You know, John, again, talking about the big rocks, even now you're working across the river. You still send me notes or a text message that you saw this and, Andrew, this might work for you, or I, I saw this bit of information and you send it to me. So you, you have the big rocks, but you still do all those little things that, that influence and in helping others. Well, I think you
1: have to... If you schedule your big rocks and you're very efficient about how you use your time, um, you have time to do the smaller things as well. But one of the most important things is letting go. It was really hard for me to be a, become a delegator of duties. Uh, the crew that works for me now would probably chuckle because they probably think I've gotten real good at it. But, uh, but it, you, know, you have to learn that if someone else can do it as well as you or someone can do it sufi- sufficiently, there's no reason for you to do it. If somebody else in your organization below you could handle it. Um, number one, it frees you up to do more stuff. And number two, it, it empowers them. are they, you're giving them more freedom and more authority. so you're growing your leaders up and down the organization.
0: And John, I know it was a goal of yours uh, at an early age to become a school superintendent. You know now that you're in that seat and, and what a great um, district Delaware Valley is and a great area, you know, you live in, in the town, you know, Milford uh, proper there and uh, I, I mean, outside the proper. But now that you're in the chair, you know, what are some of the, the biggest successes, the things that you're enjoying the most? And the flip side to that question, I'm sure there's some challenges there. You know, what are some of those greatest challenges to being a superintendent? Well, first of all, from the
1: challenges, I would tell uh, people who aspire to it, don't rush. Uh, particularly when your kids are young. Spend the time with your kids. Uh, teachers sometimes are fearful to become principals. Principals are fearful to move to district office. For that reason, they're afraid about moving to that next step may take too much time away from their kids. And um, I didn't take a superintendency until my kids were out of Little League. I enjoyed coaching them from t-ball to midgets to minors to majors, and I oftentimes had two teams. Michael B on one team and David B on another because of their ages. Um, you know, and I was a principal or an assistant soup, uh, and coaching two little league teams and people thought I was absolutely nuts, but I had a bunch of great guys to help me out. And if I had a board meeting, they were always there for me. Uh, but it's, it's a tremendous time commitment. I said to the board the other night after graduation, I said, thank And to the administrators, thank you for a great year. I said, but I've never been this tired. On the last day of school, after five years of being the superintendent, I said, I really need to spend some time and have it seven this summer to sharpen the saw, uh, you know, physically and mentally uh, just to get. So I'm ready to grow for August, you know, because I, it, it, it's a grind. It is a grind. It's, it's a 24-7 job. And, and there's nothing like it I can't even describe it to my other friends in education who've never been in that chair because there's no colleague to talk to you're the only guy or the only lady and uh, and it is a tremendous grind but it is uh, on the flip side it it's it can be the most rewarding job I love it even though I'm I, right now I'm drained and I' now I'm in the rebuild process over the course of the summer to recharge my batteries I um, it's the most amazing job. You know, when you go to an elementary school, they treat you like a rock star. The kids are practically jumping out of the bleachers to say hi to Dr. Bell. And what a feeling it is, especially after you've had a tough board meeting the night before, and then to have, you go see the kids in the elementary in the morning and they pick you up like nobody can. It's just amazing. Ah,
0: I have a question. Yes, Gavin, sure. But then how do the high schoolers treat you?
1: (laughs) You know, it's funny. uh, When I sent the email to the to the board and the administrators after graduation, Friday night, to, uh, the Friday night graduation to thank them. Um, one of the board members answered back about, he just could not get over and He's been on the board probably almost 20 years, and this is his final graduation. He didn't run for re-election. One of the things that he commented back to the whole group is that when we were in two rows and clapping to welcome all the students into graduation out on the 50-yard line, he couldn't believe how many individual kids, how many kids and I had individual conversations as they were walking by high fives, fist bumps or whatever, and how they were from all walks of life. He said it wasn't just the top students. It wasn't just the top athletes. It was such a cross-section of kids that I go out of the way to get to know. You know, the 1,600 kids in the high school and how many do I know? Probably 1,000. You know, and uh, but my my relationships with the high schoolers is probably stronger than all the others because I spend so much more time at high school concerts, high school drama shows, high school sporting events and stuff like that. So, yeah. And and, and this board member was, you know, basically patting me on the back because he just thinks
0: that's a pretty unique thing. And this is education, leadership and beyond. Uh, this is Andrew Murata on uh, with my guest. Uh, Dr. Bell and Dr. Bell again. The show is about a lot of different things, but about leadership and and how to be better and the tools you could use, and and that's one of them. I mean, the fact that you know a thousand students, probably twelve hundred names of just your high schoolers, let alone the staff. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you, how do you do that? How do you remember the names? I mean, it's such a it's such a great thing for a kid that the superintendent knows his name. It, well, I think. I've always had
1: the ability to do it when I was principal of DV middle school. There were 600 kids in that building. I knew all 600 kids. That was my goal. I mean, I used to have lunch with the sixth graders as soon as they got there in groups of about a dozen because I wanted to get to know everybody. After five years of being principal in that building, I think I probably knew all the parents, you know, because they'd be first, second, and third kids coming through the pipeline. So you get to know all the moms and a bunch of the dads. And uh, so I've been very, I'm very lucky in that I'm pretty good at remembering names, but I just make it a point. To me, it's a priority because I don't want this to just become an office job. I want re- I want this to be a job that is about the kids and about the staff. And we have 640 staff members too, so it's a big place.
0: And John, again, that's an example of putting first things first. That 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 matters to you and that's important. And you and you do it. You mm-hmm. set that time. You set the compass mm-hmm. versus the clock, clock you right? Know, and that's and that's great, John. Again, we're here in Port Jervis. You grew up in Port Jervis. You work and live now in Delaware Valley, but just talking to you, you've mentioned Minnesink, you mentioned Kingston. You know you've worked in these communities, and you know I'm a creature of habit. I'm in my routine. I'm at Port Jervis 13 years now, but they say professionals should really change jobs every five to seven years, new challenges, new people, and and you've masterfully done that, all centered around your communities where you live and your family, so you're close. You know, how is that changing jobs, and is that difficult for you, and how do you know when's the right time to do that? You know, there's no
1: right answer, Um, and and I look back on my career, and five years has been about the magic number. I taught at Eldridge for five years, um, then I really wanted to break into administration, and I had to drive 73 miles each way to Kingston every day to be an assistant principal. And then Tom Finan had called me and asked me to come for an interview at Delaware Valley, So after I was five years at Eldred, one year at Kingston, then I did five years at Delaware Valley as middle school principal. And then I decided I wanted to go back to New York State and get back into the New York State pension system. And lo and behold, at that time... A gentleman by the name of Frank DeMarco was, was retiring after 33 years of working at Minnesink Middle School, 27 as the principal. They didn't tell me they were going to put the guy's name on the building. I didn't find that out until I showed up to work July 1st. But but in the spring, when he re- announced he was going to retire, I decided to go for it. And I got that job, and I spent four years at Minnesink and six at Port. So roughly five is uh, the thing. I always wanted to be a superintendent by the time I was 40. And I knew I wanted to be a superintendent when I was around age 14. I just always aspired to that. Don't ask me why. It just intrigued me. Uh, but I backed off on 40 and waited to 45 because of the age of my kids. You know, just, I could have been a superintendent at 40, but it didn't fit with my, with my family life. Um, and then, lo and behold, Dr. Candy Finer was retiring the year uh, I turned 45. And I said, "That's I'm going to go for it.
0: You know, so. And I know the people in Pennsylvania were thrilled. And uh, there was a lot of upset people in Port Jervis. And I know that was hard for you because your, your heart is in, in Port. Dr. Bell, we uh, have to take a break here. Uh, we will be right back with Dr. Bell from Delaware Valley. This is Andrew Murata on Education, Leadership, and Beyond. Welcome back everybody this is andrew marada on education leadership and beyond surviving and thriving we are on country 107.7 wdlc 106.9 wyny and wall radio you can follow me on twitter at andrew 21 and email the show andrew at neversinkmediagroup.com excited uh, this morning i have my good friend and the superintendent of Delaware Valley Schools, a dynamic leader, John Bell. John, again, thanks for being on. John, I want to shift some gears. Uh, we talked about the work you're doing with, with, at the schools with Seven Habits and, and, and sharpening the saw. And um, We've both had a lot of uh, strong leaders around us that we've got a chance to work to, together, guys that are going to be on this show like John Exantis, Tony DeMarco, uh, Mr. Thomas Bon Jovi was on last week. Who are some of the people, whether it's in your school or, or out? I know you have a lot of connections in places like ASCD. Like, who are some of the people that influence you that that you admire as leaders and 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 maybe provide you some inspiration?
1: Well, I think there's people uh, both near and far. You know, there's people that I know well, and there's people that are more famous people that I've I've just studied their careers and learned. I mean, I, one person uh, is Dr. Craig Anifree. You know, who's another poor Jervis kid just like me. Uh, who who got into education administration at probably thirty years old or thirty three years old and and uh, so he was always in uh, you know several years in front of me but it was somebody who I always followed his steps and learned from him and and uh, and, and admired him so that that would be one of the local people uh, when I was a kid growing up I, I you know uh, two of my principals Mr Happy in the middle school and Mr Ferris in the high school at Port Jervis. Uh, just just great guys, very different styles, but I learned a lot by watching both of them uh, when I was growing up. and I, in fact, in my office, I have a picture uh, of both those principals and myself at one of the P.J Hall of Fame dinners, and I have that on, I show that to people all the time. They said, "These are my, my guys, you know from when I was a kid growing up, and they had a huge influence on me.
0: Nice and, and John, I know you're a, a reader. You know, who are some of the people that you're reading? And and again, you've sent me copies and pages from books and different books. And, you know, who are some of those people that you might be reading uh, uh, or following online, uh, things like that? Well, Some of the people that I love
1: to read their books uh, in terms of leadership, uh, one of them is a guy named John Maxwell. He's issued a lot of books and probably the most famous one is the the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. Uh, But he's got many, many books out there and he's also a great speaker. Another one is a guy named Brian Tracy. Uh, I just finished reading a book uh, called No Excuses from him, and, and he had another wonderful book about five years ago called Focal Point, and really talk about the eighty twenty rule of you know of you know uh, how you, how you prioritize what you do and making sure that you're focusing on the twenty percent, the most important twenty percent, because that you get eighty percent of your return. Uh, so there are two that I love. Uh, I, I, I love the Dale Carnegie books. I love the Ken Blanchard One Minute Manager books. Uh, anything by uh, 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 A a motivational speaker named Tom Peters. He has a lot of great books. One of my favorite is called The Pursuit of Wow. Um, I have about 50 books on my conference table right now. I'm sorting through them to get ready for the the Boys State Leadership Conference that I'm going to do. And I'm going to show a bunch of slides, PowerPoint slides with the pictures of books. And then I'm going to have the books there on display for the kids afterwards.
0: You know, I heard a story uh, recently uh, that somebody uh, was Bill Belichick was bringing somebody through their their house, uh, his house. And, you know, they they wanted to see the trophy room and different memorabilia. And, uh, you know, Bill quickly passed over that. But then he went to his library. He has a Mm. whole room for a library. And he says, no, this is really what I want to show you, because this is where all the preparation, this is where the sharpening of the saw and the ideas uh, come from, and, and Bill Belichick was so proud of that library. I've been in your office, and again at our administrative retreats, you would bring books, and you'd have your name on them with your label to make sure they got back to you. But you you shared those, and uh, I remember those things that you you've done for us, John. I know um, probably the best leader you you, you knew and and know uh, was your father, and I know you lost your dad recently, and and your father was uh, had a great impact on this community. Uh, he's in the Port Jervis Hall of Fame mm-hmm. and, and the Little League, and I know you're so involved in so many of the things that your dad started and, and you were with him. You know, talk a little bit about your relationship with your dad and, and what he meant to you.
1: Yeah. Well, well you know, it's funny. I, I, You go through, and I think many people could say this, you go through different phases with your parents. You know, from the time you're a little kid to you're a know-it-all teenager and then when you're an adult and then when you have your own kids, you have a whole new perspective of your parents. And And and, and I was a very competitive kid and I was a very bad loser. Um, so I can't imagine how hard that was on my parents, but they always gave me – they always knew when to reel me in, but they also knew, also knew when to give me space and let me just wander off into the backyard and uh, – you know, and uh, basically yell at myself a little bit. So, uh, so from th- that, I have such admiration that I, I, you know, I try to make sure I bite my lip and be calm with my kids because my parents were so good with me that given me my space. And I think that's how I became so independent. Was that they always gave me space? The middle child syndrome, perhaps. Who knows? Uh, but you know, the thing, one of the things about my dad is that whenever I would meet people that worked at Mid Hudson Psych Center, and that's where he was for thirty-four years they would talk about how much they enjoyed having my dad as their boss and just how, even though when he had to come down and talk to him about stuff and have those difficult conversations, it was always done respectful. It wasn't in a demeaning manner. And, and, uh, you know, and they talked about how they, they felt like they let him down. So they were disappointed before he even came to see him because they knew he was going to have to come see him and they didn't want to let him down. And and that has always stuck with me in all my roles as a leader, whether it's an assistant principal, principal, assistant superintendent, or whatever case, I've always tried to remember that because it made such an impact on me when people told me that about my dad.
0: Yeah, I mean the respect for your father, and you talk about at the job. I also know, you know, at the community. I got to be around him at the golf outings mm-hmm. and uh, different things. You know, just great respect, and you know, you certainly uh, have earned that yourself. Touch on the little league, uh, John, and and again they've named the field after your dad, correct? Right. And my and my grandparents. Y- your, it's, and your grandparents, yeah, yeah. okay? Yeah. So so baseball is is in your blood and 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 in this community of Port Jervis. Talk about the little league and what that means to you, and and uh, we're, we're going to get to the umpiring in a minute. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, the the little league thing in Port Jervis is just a it's just an inspirational story, and and there's so many other people. You know, there were so many men and women that were so involved with Little Lake. I think, you know, part of the reason that it was named, the field was named after my grandparents first and my my, my dad was that they were just involved in it for a long time. You know, my grandmother was involved in the auxiliary for probably 30 years. My dad was involved in Portia's Little Lake for 50 years in some way, shape or form. Uh, but there were so many other people, you know, uh, Art Gray, Harrison Hinckley, Frank Lynn. There was tons of Le- legendary people in Port Jervis: Jerry Cohen, Oscar Ween, who owned the radio station. So many people were involved. So uh, I want to give all them that due credit too. But but Port Jervis, literally, there's something about it. You know, it's like every little kid plays little league at least at some level, and it's just part of growing up in Port Jervis. It's a tradition. Even if you don't play baseball in high school or girls softball in high school, it's just what you do in this town um and uh, i just uh, umpired i umpired opening day and it was my 35th year of umpiring opening day i started when i was 16 and, uh, and and I love going back and my schedule's pretty busy so I don't get a chance to umpire much during the regular season but I always say that I will come and do the d- doubleheader on opening day if they want to have me I would gladly come and do it because I just love you know be, still being a part of it and I'm gearing up now for all-stars you know where the towns travel around and play each other now I'll get now the school's over I'll get my umpire and stuff back out and I'll be schlepping all over Orange County doing games
0: and John, again, you, you've done so many things in and around this community, and you, you mentioned the umpiring. You know, you had a, another dream of yours uh, you've reached uh, a couple of years ago, and we have that commemorative pin in our home. Uh, you refereed the or refereed, you umpired the Little League World Series, yeah, yeah, the National World Series yeah. of Little League. How did that feel? And and how did you get there? And and how did you do?
1: Well, first of all, it it it's the most amazing thing for a guy like me. I, I, I said it's like adult Disney World. You know, the thrill that kids get going to Disney World, that's the thrill I had and the smile I had on my face for two weeks because I didn't have to worry about work, paying bills, whatever. I was just get up, go to the field, umpire all day, go back to the hotel, do it all over the next day. So that part was just incredible. Uh, but it really goes back to habit too. begin with the end in mind. You know, it took almost 20 years to get to Williamsport. So, But you had, and once I decided this is a goal, I want to do this, you know, and it was something that was on my list. And we could talk about my list maybe in a few minutes if we have time. But um, it, I had to then figure out how do you get there? What's the step before Williamsport? What's the step before that, the step before that? And I talked to as many people as possible, both in the Little League organization, umpires who had been to the World Series, and I gathered all this information, and then I put together a plan. And, uh, okay, you have to do these District championship games. Then you got to get good enough to get yourself into a state championship game, and then you work your way into Eastern regionals, and then you work your way into another World Series that's not as high profile as Williamsport. And uh, so I went to Kalamazoo, Michigan, in 2002 to umpire the big league girls softball World Series. That's 16 to 18 year old girls. These were all girls that were going on full rides to play Division One. These girls were incredible. Um, they say, go to a World Series like that, one of the other World Series that the other age groups, baseball or softball, do a good enough job that you get picked to go uh, to, to the championship game on ESPN. Don't screw up on ESPN. And then in about 10 years from then, you'll get a shot at Williamsport. And it actually, I got a chance to do second base in the world championship game. And then it won nothing on a walk-off solo homer in 10 innings. Uh, we had a bang banger at second that I got right, thank God, on a pickoff play. Put a little mustard on. Yeah, the oh phone, yeah, sure. you got to sell it, uh, you know. Uh, um, and then it literally was eleven
0: years before I got to Williamsport. Incredible, yeah, incredible. And again, you know, we talked about the seven habits to start the show. You're a living example of that, just by describing that that story. And and so, John, when you were there, again, I asked you about your superintendent. Now, when you were there and you walked out on the field, what did that feel like to you?
1: It, it's
0: it, at The first time that – and there were 16 of us that umpired from around the
1: world. There were 12 Americans and four, four international umpires. Um, there were 10,000 applicants that year, and there were 105 umpires picked for all the different World Series, but only 16 of us at Williamsport. Uh, so just being there was like we were all like, oh, my God, this is incredible. But the first time you step on that Lamade field with the big hill out in the outfield, which holds probably another 30,000 – people on the hill in addition to the 10,000 and the bleachers. You come out of that dugout, and they're, they're semi-underground dugouts, so you come up a few steps to get onto the grass, and it just takes your breath away. It's as good as a Major League World Series. I I I, I can't see how could it be any better to do a Major League World Series. It was just incredible. Yeah.
0: I remember you going to the Instant Replay booth. We got a chance to watch you and, and, and follow you. John, you know, your umpiring and and, uh, school leadership is another thing you and I share in common. Uh, I referee college basketball, and we've got to go to some games together. John, in my opinion, I I see some comparisons between umpiring or officiating and and leadership. You know, what do you think? Are there comparisons in your mind? And what are the similarities of those two jobs? Uh, No doubt. Uh, You know, I always talk
1: about, you know, it's about um, teaching kids the rules and being respectful of the rules and doing what they're supposed to do. So it doesn't matter if it's a, a, a basketball player on the court or a baseball player on the field or a kid in the cafeteria following the rules and doing the right thing. And then there are times where you have to step in when someone when breaks the rule, You know whether it's officiating or teaching or coaching or being an administrator. I see such similarities, such similarities between the two. Uh, you know I, It's almost like it's one, I feel like it's one career. You know, they're so intertwined in the way that those things go together, no doubt.
0: And your point about uh, that you were able to step away from your job uh, and be on that field and just focus on the umpiring, you know, I certainly, for me, they balance each other out, mm-hmm. you know. So, uh, and, and this is John Bell on, on my show here, everybody, education, leadership and beyond. John, we're coming up to a break. That Gavin with the music. I had One more question before the break. John, again, you talked about the, the this list of things that you want to accomplish, you know. Quickly, what are some other things on your list? What's What's up next for John Bell?
1: Well, I have 102 things on my list, and I've accomplished 52 of them. So I still have a lot to do. When I made the list in 1992, and I have dropped a few things, and I have added a few things, but it's still 102. 102. Uh, so, uh, you know, and, and recently, of course, the Lily World Series was a big one. Uh, getting Finishing my doctorate in 2015 was a big one. So there are two huge ones. Uh, but there's still lots of places I want to see. Uh, go to a White House dinner, you know, go to the Eiffel Tower, you know, visit Rome. So, I mean, a lot of travel things. So a lot of those things I hope I can knock out perhaps after I get all my kids out of college and I have money to actually take a trip. You know. I'm sure Mrs.
0: Bell is on board with some of those trips. Yeah, I would think that she would be. <laughs> yeah <laughs> how what are a couple of others that you wouldn't mind sharing on? Oh, it's yeah, um, amazing uh
1: well, the uh you know some of the things i I had always wanted to meet Joe Paterno, and I never got a chance to meet him, but I did get a chance to talk to him on the phone at one time okay. um I still want to meet Jimmy Buffett. Um, I want to meet Jack Welch, the old CEO of General Electric. I've read all his books, and we've implemented a lot of GE things uh, everywhere I've been. Um, so they're, they're some of the famous people I'd like to still meet you know, in my lifetime. And, and again, I'd like to travel. There's a lot of places I want to meet. Um... Um, I haven't been to the Kentucky Derby or the Masters yet, so they're both on my list, so things like that.
0: Well, I know one of those 102 was to be on Education, Leadership, and Beyond, so you could cross that off your list. (laughs) We're going to take a break, everyone. This is Andrew Murata, again with my guest, Dr. John Bell. We will be right back. Can play the game and you can act out the part though you know it wasn't written for you. But tell me how can you stand there with your broken heart. And welcome back, everybody, to Education Leadership and Beyond Surviving and Thriving. This is Andrew Morata. We are on Country 107.7 WDLC, 106.9 WYNY and Wall Radio. Hit me up on Twitter, at Morada 21 and you could email into the show, Andrew at Group.com. We are on our last segment, and to recap uh, the show, we had our friend Dr. John Bell on as our guest, and we talked about the seven habits. What a great uh, program he brought to Port Jervis Schools and now to Delaware Valley and uh, certainly sharing some stories with John about his life. You know, he's a living example of the, of the seven habits. So we asked John uh, if he could stay on. Uh, Dr. Bell could stay on with us for our last segment. It's a, it's a write-in portion, uh, John, where our listeners can uh, write in a question. And uh, today's question is, how do you deal with angry parents that come in to see you that have a complaint? You know, that's something that a lot of people have a, you know, a hard time facing. But as leaders, uh, you know, they, they want to go to the top. So how do you handle that when that, when that comes your way?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a difficult thing. Sometimes people don't know who to go to, so they simply call the superintendent's office because they're just not sure who's the right person to talk to. Other times, they just absolutely want the boss. Um, you know. But in, in our district, we work really hard. We have a, a public complaint policy as a board policy that talks about you need to go to the lowest level first. So if someone would call me because they're upset about a test grade or a kid's average or something like that, our secretaries know that the first thing they do is, Have you spoken to the teacher yet? Yes, I have. Okay, have you spoken to the principal yet? Yes, I have. Okay, then it would be working its way up the chain. But if anybody were to say no, then you go back and you meet with that teacher first. And then maybe the principal, if it's not resolved. And 99 times out of 100, once the teacher and the parent talk live, not email, not text, whatever, it gets resolved. And so very little. I I say with 5,000 students, I can't spend all day solving individual student issues. I have to stay focused on the big things. But if people
0: follow that chain of command, we're just fine. And, uh, you know, we talked about the seven habits. Habit number five, seek to understand, then to be understood. Those face-to-face meetings, you know, they, they say in, in that relationship, 55% of your response is in your body language. 38% is how we say it. And only 7% are in the actual words. It's so true, and your and your teachers getting trained in that. I'm sure helps in those right in those relationships.
1: Yeah. yeah, and it is, and and that's why email. Sometimes when it's a heated thing, we say don't do email because email can so easily be
0: misinterpreted. Yeah, and, and John, you, you know you're such a good listener, and and you, you look people in the eye, and you dress the part, and you do all those things. So, like you said about your dad, you know, regardless of what the issue is, they they're happy to be around him and, and happy to uh, have conversed with him and. Work under him, so um, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Absolutely, my pleasure. You know, uh, we got some things coming up this summer, and uh, I look to collaborate with Delaware Valley and and the Honor Societies next year. There's a trip coming uh, from North Carolina. That's great. So uh, we're going to end the show, uh, John. And you you mentioned this during the show about getting to the Little League World Series. And today's quote: You want to write it down. If you think you can, or you think you can't you're probably right. I'll repeat that. If you think you can or you think you can't, you're probably right. So believe in yourself. Chase those goals. Write them down. Dr. Bell shared a list of 102 things. He's got 52 done, 50 to go, and uh, we were happy to have him on. This was Education, Leadership, and Beyond. I am Andrew Morata on Country 1077 WDLC, 1069 WYNY, and Wall Radio. Shoot me a note on Twitter, Andrew Murata, 21, and on email, Andrew at Go out and change the world for the better, everyone. Thanks for listening.
1: And nothing, all oh, nothing is going
0: right. Close your eyes and think of me. And soon.